0: I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever, but don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood and friend. I'm excited that you're listening in for season five, where we are starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, our first episode featured my German exchange niece, Tati. Tati shared about growing up in Germany, how strange it was to come to the U.S. and meet people who actually believed in God, and she talked about being content with her atheism and disbelief in the God of the Bible at this point in her life. I loved that conversation and Tati's honesty and vulnerability, so if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Tati and hear her story, along with the other episodes that have gone out this month I'm just very grateful for the guests that we've had on to address some of her questions and also our stand-in co-hosts that you've gotten to listen to as well we'll put a link to those episodes in the show notes and you can find those over at findingsomethingreal.com along with other things like free resources a very occasional blog post I'm hoping to write one pretty soon how you can financially help support this program through patreon and ways to connect Again, all of that can be found over at Findingsomethingreal.com. If you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Tati isn't here for this recording. And uh, as we talked about in our first episode, she may not attend any of these. But I respect where she's at right now. And I'm grateful she came on to share her story with me and with you. She brought up some solid questions and mostly objections to faith. And I'm excited for the guest we have here today Uh, as we wrap up this month. um, She's here to address some of the objections that Tati brought up, but also to share about her her own ministry, which is fantastic in my opinion. Um, But specifically, she's here to talk about uh, the proof that she sees that God exists in her own life. Um, We'll also be talking about Christian community. So here to address those topics as a returning guest, and I have to say, For a long time, I've been hoping to have her back on here. When I first interviewed her back in fall of 2019, she was quite honestly the first person I kind of freaked out over when she said yes, and there's a whole backstory that maybe someday I'll be vulnerable enough to share regarding that episode, but it was an interview I will never forget, and I'm so grateful she agreed to come back on here today. Hilary Morgan Ferrer is the founder and chief executive officer of a ministry called Mama Bear Apologetics. She is the chief author and editor of the best selling books, Mama Bear Apologetics Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lives, and Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality Empowering Your Kids to Understand and Live Out God's Design. Hillary has her master's degree in bio- biology from Clemson University, and I believe has a master's degree. Is that, am I right? Not sure if I'll ever be
1: able to finish <laughs> just because the ministry's blown up, but I was working on my master's in apologetics from Biola, but um we've got a lot going on so yeah. we'll see when i finish that
0: <laughs> well she she loves helping moms to discern both truth uh, truths and lies in science and culture and she also specializes in understanding the root causes of doubt which i'm very excited to talk with her about here she and her husband john have been married for 15 years and minister together as an apologetics team hillary i'm so grateful that you came back on today
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) A lot has changed in the past two years. Um, A lot has changed for you since I last chatted with you. How have the past couple of years been for you and what's changed? (laughs)
1: Last couple of years have not been kind. (laughs) I'll say that, but I think they were necessary. So um, I think it was uh, 2020. I, I, um, went out to California to try to like really power through a couple different classes at Biola. I was just going to be there for two months. And so March, 2020 is when I went out there. And so I stayed for about a week before it was like, I may never be able to fly out again if I don't go home soon. Um, So right. And so I was working hard on about six credit hours for, for school. Then right after that, I went into uh, working on the study guide for the first book. And then right after that into uh, the book, the, the guide to sexuality. And I like, in all honesty, I just agreed to a really stupid deadline and I pushed myself and I pushed myself and the material that I was having to study was just so dark. And when I tell people I internalize stuff, it's not like it internalizes like mentally, it's more like it internalizes physically. So, um, I was just feeling these pains in my, in my gut as I'm going through all this material and, um, uh, at the end of it, I had my yearly endoscopy, colonoscopy. I'm just being honest, sharing all my things here. <laughs> um, go right you know, ahead. There we go. Um, and anyway, they they found a, a mass that was right over my uh, over my pancreas in the small intestines. So I had to have what's called a Whipple procedure, which uh, if you know any ICU nurses, ask them about the Whipple procedure. Every ICU nurse I've talked to says that is probably one of the worst surgeries you can ever have. And I'll, I'll just say it has changed my life and not for the better. Um, so it's been a really rough year trying to come back from this surgery. Just uh, still a lot of pain, still a lot of weakness and exhaustion and all sorts of things. And but at the same, same time, the book, I've gotten so much amazing feedback from the book from, from moms that are saying, thank you. I finally know how to talk about this with my kids. I know what kind of, kind of questions to ask. This is showing me how to address this with kindness and compassion without backing down on, on truth. And every time I get a story like that, I think, you know, uh, is it worth it? it? Like, is it worth it to have basically kind of put, put my body through the fire? And every time I, I have to admit, even though it's still affecting me. Like I would do it again. If I ever did it again, I would probably give myself an easier deadline, but you just don't know what you don't know at the time. Um, but that's one of the things that I know that if you really are truly invested in something, and if you really truly believe something is true, uh, what are you willing to sacrifice? And so, um, yeah, I've just been having to kind of live out and find out what my new normal is. And my husband has been amazing with it. He has been so supportive, but, um, so yeah, this last year has not been fun. <laughs>
0: wow. Um, tell me a little bit more about your ministry for those who aren't uh, familiar with mama bear apologetics.
1: Yeah. So mama bear apologetics is, is, uh, for moms wanting to equip themselves so they can equip their kids. We get lots of people asking, Oh, do you get to do kids curriculum for this? Do you do kids curriculum for that? And I'm like, no, that's not what we do. We equip the moms because we think that you are absolutely the best teacher in your family. And so if we can make it to where you understand stand it, you can then start kind of combing through and, and answering the questions and you'll at least know where to look to find the answers. And I think that's something that'll mean so much more to your kids than any kind of curriculum that you that you bring them that you're on the outside of. Uh, moms get more questions. I, I always like to say this. It was from some uh, study that I read when I first started Mama Bear Apologetics. Moms get more questions per day than the Queen of England does in uh, <sighs> an interview. And so who's getting the spiritual questions first? It's moms. Um, and when the Lord kind of uh, kind of called me to this ministry, I thought for sure he had called me to this to pass it on to somebody because uh, for those of you who don't know, um, just because of health problems, recurring health problems, you know, this is the thing I had this last year is just one in a chain of a ton of stuff. Um, my husband and I have chosen not to have children just because it would probably not be wise for me or my body. Um, there's too many days where I'm, I'm just in bed all day and I can't do anything. So um, uh, yeah, like to, to have the Lord called me to do this, I thought for sure he was asking me to pass this on to someone. And the Lord really kind of spoke to my heart saying, no, I'm asking you to do this because you have something. That most moms don't have, which is time to research, and so I thought, well, that's true. I I do I do have that. <laughs> um, so that is I I am just passionate about moms, passionate about equipping them, and everything I do. How is this going to help a mom have a conversation with her kid?
0: Wow. Well, one of the things that I know you're doing is not shying away from the hot button topics, <laughs> uh, which create controversy. And uh, sometimes people get angry and, and maybe even uh, believe things that aren't true about uh, what the things that you're saying. I know Um Last time you were here, you talked about how challenging that can be at times. Has it gotten any better? Um, I know you said the last two years have been really rough health-wise, but Mm -hmm. also in terms of the vitriol or the response that you get from people.
1: Yeah. So this was, uh, I knew absolutely for certain that we could not embark upon another book, especially the book that we just did without a prayer team and so I've just noticed a night and day difference from not having a prayer team to having a prayer team, all the things that I was worried about. Cause honestly, I turned this book down my, it was, it wasn't my idea to do the sexuality book. My publisher asked me like three times and they kept presenting it to me until finally, I think it was, it was March, 2020 that I was like, oh my gosh, what if my husband loses his job? I should probably take this. And, and so I decided to do it. And then for a long time after kept asking, why did I say yes to this? <laughs> um, but uh, the, the number one thing that I was asking them to pray over was it's like, like I said, I internalize things. And so if someone comes against me, um, for something that I say, it's not like that'll like psychologically mess me up. Cause I'm, it's pretty hard to offend me. Honestly, it is, but I know that I internalize it. Like I can tell my blood pressure goes up where I'll start getting pains in my, in my stomach, stuff like that. And we have not had almost any um, like major major pushback on this book. Granted, we also try to phrase it in ways that were just I mean, grace upon grace and love upon love for people who are struggling. So I don't know if it's because of that or if it's because we've had this amazing prayer team. Hmm. Um, but we we've actually had a really great experience with this book so far in the feedback that we've gotten from it. So in in that case, in that from that perspective, it's been. It's been really good.
0: Yeah. Do you ever hear from uh, non Christians or atheists like Tati, people who are like, uh, what did I just pick up here? This book about
1: <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll get a couple of those, you know, the ones that, you know, say, I'm throwing this in the garbage. I don't want it to, you know, be circulated even out of the thrift store. You know, we'll we'll get a couple of those, or we'll um get people who they they will immediately equate um teaching on biblical sexuality with hating people who don't uh, agree with the biblical sexuality. And I don't think there's any kinder way we could have phrased this of how much we are intending to love and how much we want to love on, on people who are struggling and um, that you don't have to agree to love each other, you know, and you don't have to agree always to be in relationship with one another. And also we, we took great pains in this book to call the church on the carpet for a lot of the ways that they have really really failed in a lot of ways um so either on in the same sex attraction chapter, I spend like the first third of the chapter talking about how the church has created sometimes these unpardonable sins. It's like, they'll pick this one sin. And then that's the one that they rail about, you know, it back in the day, it was divorce. It didn't matter, you know, if a guy was, you know, abusing his wife and sleeping around, you know, as long as you weren't divorced, you were still welcome in polite company. And then it was having a child out of wedlock that basically, you know, You could do whatever you want in the backseat of the car, but as long as you don't have that proof, you know, that child out on wedlock, then you, you get a pass and then they've moved on to homosexuality, you can have as many baby daddies as you want or baby mamas or whatever, but as long as you ain't gay, then you're welcome in the church. And it's just been kind of this cycle of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really wanted to call the church out on that because that is not okay. And I think that's a lot of times why people are hesitant to to share those struggles with people inside the church, because they're going to say, oh, if I share this struggle They'll they'll deal with everybody else's junk. They're gonna deal with that guy's porn problem, and, you know, and, and this person's you know gossiping problem. But if I share this, I'm gonna be asked to leave. And I wish I could say that that wasn't true, but there have been times I've heard stories of people who that has been true. And I think it's an absolute travesty um, that we have. Uh, I don't know. It's like we have to pick something to make ourselves feel better. I kind of disca- describe it in the that chapter is the scapegoat. You put all your sins onto this one kind of sin that way you can kind of pretend that you're holier than thou when really you're just you're just I don't know. It's not yeah. it's not okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've had uh, a few people on here talking about that topic and um I know my friend Drew Berriessa, he has a ministry uh, that I'll put a link in the show notes, but he talks a lot about that and you know, it's a tough place in the middle. He says there's this tension between grace and truth. And he mm-hmm. said, if you don't feel tense, <laughs> maybe you're not doing it right, because I, there's absolutely. a tension. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I remember, uh, you know, it's little, a little off topic, it, it was this Q&A with the professors at Biola. And someone was like, I really don't feel comfortable with the theology of hell. What do I do with this? And Clay Jones reaches for the microphone. He says, You're not supposed to feel comfortable (laughs) with the theology of hell. If you feel comfortable with the theology of hell, you don't understand the theology of hell. (laughs) And so I think it's kind of the same way. It's like, it it is this discomfort of like, I want to love people, but they're telling me that this is hurting them. Um, And so, but, but then God says that, you know, other things are hurting them. Who do I listen to? You know, and it's just, it is a tense moment. Um, and if you're not living in that tension, I don't think you understand <laughs> yeah. uh, just um, the, how, how we are supposed to live and believe.
0: Yeah. And this is kind of off topic, but I remember watching a YouTube video that you I don't remember the context of it, but you were in it and you were talking about the Christian response. And I want to say it was right after the election, but you are right before. Mm-hmm. But you said something that I'll never forget. You said um, that as Christians, we're often called to absorb. And, uh, Mm -hmm. man, and then I thought, well, what do you do with all that tension? I mean, you just talked about how it's taken a toll on your body, how you're taking all of this stuff that you feel passionate about, that God has given you this ministry and this way to share faith with people that is equipping moms. I mean, it's a tremendous and beautiful ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, I've personally been blessed by it but you're also talking about your physical body kind of falling apart, Hillary. Yep. Um, <laughs> 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 and, nothing
1: new. It's honestly nothing new. It's just, so you know, getting manifests in different ways. Yeah.
0: And this podcast, you know, it's for young women who aren't sure about faith, but it's also for people who love them, who are wanting to know, you know, how can I have conversations? Uh, but for somebody who's listening to this, who is a Christian, who's saying, man, you know, like, I don't want that to happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I don't want to absorb. Um, you have any thoughts on that?
1: So the absorbing aspect of it, if I remember correctly, because I do remember saying this, um, is this idea that when you talk to someone who's not a believer, uh, and, and sometimes people who are believers, you're not just talking to them as you yourself. I'm the, I'm a Christian and I'm talking to you. A lot of times you're talking to them as a representative of every Christian they've ever talked to. And there can be anger, at Christianity. There can be anger at church. There can be anger at so many things where they will just accuse you and accuse you and accuse you of all these different things. And, you know, there's probably some story in the background and part of our job, I believe. Um, and maybe not everybody's called to this. Maybe the Lord's just called me to this and called my husband to this is really just recognizing that it's not me that they are so angry at. It's maybe, um, you know, bad examples that they've had in the past. And so it'd be easy to try to defend myself. Well, I'm not doing that. I haven't said that, but you know, just absorb it and let them get it out. Cause sometimes just being able to let it out is itself healing and cathartic, but you have to have someone that you trust who can handle that stuff. I mean, for all of us um, uh, that have really amazing husbands who uh, get to hear our, our sometimes our female neuroses where we're just going <laughs> off about something. It's like, we just need someone to hear us out sometimes. And so I, and, and then you can, then you've gotten it out and, uh, and you can continue on and then you can interact as individuals, but sometimes it's like, it's almost like a testing like seeing Is this going to push this person away? And when I see that, Hey, it doesn't push them away. In fact, they, they came back and they responded um, really, really well. I I've just heard lots of people who say um, that, that one of the things that drew them to Christ is that no matter what they said, no matter what they threw at the person, that person just came back and continued to love them. Um, And that, I mean, just think about, that's exactly what Christ did. I mean, he had people spitting on him and hurling, hurling, you know, rocks and all this stuff at him and and, and shouting lies about him. And he absorbed, he absorbed all of that and he still continued to love. So, um, that, that is one of the, you know, not fun parts of, of following him. But then again, he's never asked us to do anything that he hasn't done himself first. Hmm. And so, uh, we, we don't, we don't serve a God who's up in heaven, looking down, going like, mm, man <laughs> stinks to be you. I mean, we have a God who came down and he says, you know, watch me do it first. So you know how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's something beautiful about that. But at the same time, it's still not fun. It's never going to be fun. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. what we're called as Christians to lay down, uh, to pick up our cross, lay down our lives and follow him. And and I've chosen to do that. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know you spend a lot of time uh, dissecting, in a way, um, what I would call prevalent doubt um, with young people in in our current culture. Do you think that skepticism is more mainstream than it has been in the past? And if so, why do you think that is?
1: Um, Yeah, I do believe skepticism is more mainstream. And we kind of go through that in the skepticism chapter. I I think it really started with the New Atheist right around 2001, um, as we describe in the first book. I think now um, we actually have a a full-blown fad going on, Uh, a a fad or a social contagion. I'm not sure. Probably closer to social contagion of deconstruction. People say, no, I'm deconstructing my faith when they, that's the, that's a word that they don't realize all the baggage that goes along with that. So true deconstruction is basically um, removing, how do I say this? taking words and their meaning and separating them and saying that these words don't have to mean this. And basically this can mean whatever you want it to be. And you deconstruct something and alter these individual little parts where they don't fit together again. And then um, if you can feel like you have created a question in each of these little parts, then you just chuck the whole thing. Um, What people are a lot of times meaning right now is that they've had some Toxic theology does creep in in some churches I will grant that Um, toxic theology just doesn't doesn't always mean just stuff that I don't like stuff that makes me feel convicted, or stuff that's out of step of culture it's like that people try to act like toxic theology and that are the same thing toxic theology would be something more along the lines of you have to perform and if you're not perfect then you're not welcome. or, or just may, making feeling like, uh, I am only aware till I'm only allowed to wear long jean skirts and that's it. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm dressing like a hussy, you know, <laughs> things like that, where it's like, eh, I think you're going a little bit beyond what scripture says. So we can have some toxic theology like that, or some of the things that they they've turned it into, um, the idea of, uh, the, the husband headship. Oh my goodness. I've seen all sorts of unhealthy things with that. I mean, all the way down to, there was some movement where it's like men had to discipline their wives by spanking them or something like that. Mm. That was like this real thing that they thought, you know, that that's what it meant for the man to have authority over the woman. That itself is toxic. It's like, I'm pretty sure when it says, you know, to love your wives, like Christ loved the church. I did not see any spanking going on there. And I didn't, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I don't see that in the gospel and I don't see him actively disciplining. He's gently leading and he's loving and he's wooing. Um, So there is a lot of toxic stuff there, but I think because there is some legitimate toxic things that are going on, people then can just take that word and apply it to anything that they want uh, and say, oh, I'm recovering from toxic theology when in fact they're choosing not to recover from the fact that they want to follow their own sinful heart mm-hmm. um and so you can't a lot of times just from the words alone you can't really tell the difference but it's just become one of those things that's very acceptable and almost like if you're not going through this time of uh reevaluating everything you thought you know well then you're just kind of a, a lemming sheep who's just following the crowd and never thought a thought a day in your life and <laughs> it, it really doesn't pay attention to the people who have actively sought to understand theology and to why they believe what they believed. And it does, it doesn't allow, it, it acts like people like that don't exist, that you're either a lemming or you're a doubter seeker and who's the the one that's, you know, really willing to go where the evidence leads. So, um, and then you'll have people who are just legitimately struggling. I would say like the problem of evil will always be the thing um, that will cause people to doubt the most. The problem of evil being if a good God exists, then why am I, why is there so much evil in the world? Why am I having to go through this? Um, You know, someone whose parents are getting divorced or who uh, had sexual abuse in the church or had their entire youth group turn on them or they were bullied or they're having same-sex attraction feelings that they wish weren't there or uh, whatever it is that they're, they're going through, where are you, God? Why am I having to go through this? Why can't I just be like everybody? Why can't I be accepted and loved for who I am? All of these questions um, are causing them to doubt that who God says he is. But what I, a lot of those, what I call them is expectational doubt. Expectational doubt is when you expect God to be a certain way. And when he doesn't live up to your expectations, then you start to doubt. Uh, in that sense that I think doubt can actually be a really healthy thing that it's revealing expectations that maybe aren't true. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that I'm supposed to have a really easy life where, you know, I've, I've got, you know, enough money, I've got enough friends, you know, good family, all these things. And that's what, you know, God promised me to have this nice, smooth, easy life. Well, if I think that that's what God's called me to, and I'm not experiencing that, then either God's a liar, or I have misunderstood what it means to follow Christ. And so a lot of times people will go, one or two directions they'll go down god's a liar well if you really look at scripture you see that's not what he's promised us or so our other option is we could correct our theology and say what is guaranteed and whenever people talk about the promises of god i'm like well i think you know the old testament there's a whole lot of promises and curses you know for if you follow him but it seems like the one main promise in the new testament is um uh, you will have trials and tribulations, but don't <laughs> worry, I'll be with you through them. Like that seems to me the main theme. And if you miss that, then you might have, you, you might feel like you some did a bait and switch on acting like, oh, you know, your life is going to be so much better once you become a Christian. Yeah, it will. In some ways you have like this peace before God that you didn't have before, but it doesn't necessarily mean your life's going to be easier. A lot of times it means your life's going to be harder.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Tati, uh, my exchange niece, couldn't, wasn't, decided not to be here today. Um, and she's an atheist. And, um, you know, I, I, obviously we didn't discuss all of her objections to Christianity, although I think she probably would say she has many. Um, we didn't specifically talk about suffering, but that's obviously a big one, and it comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on what you just said, I mean, Hillary, you've had a lot of suffering in your life. Um, I know that you've lost people that you love. You've been through a lot of health challenges. You've had yeah. desires that have been unmet. Um, That's
1: right. 2000. I'm trying to remember it, when you and I talked, I guess that was after my sister passed that you
0: and I talked. Exactly. A year yeah. after I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for somebody listening who like Tati is like, if there is a God, like there's no way. Uh, That he would allow all of that kind of stuff. But for you, for someone who's been through a lot of pain and suffering and trials and still profess to love the Lord, your God, um, why do you believe what compels you that there's evidence for a creator?
1: Yeah. Um, because really what it does come down to is do I believe that what the Bible teaches is true? And if I can't trust the God of the Bible, then I can't trust that the what the God of the Bible teaches through scripture is true. I would say personally for me, um, how would I say this? I just feel like I've felt his presence since I was young. I don't remember a time when I didn't know the Lord. Um so there's that. Some people are born with that. I think some people, um, my sister had an extra helping of faith that I don't think I've always had. Um, I've had other gifts, but knowing who he was, for some reason, I feel like that was just, it was, it was the series that I went through when I was 12. that uh, The the pastor did from the, the um, pulpit where it was a different apologetics topics. It was the liar, Lord, lunatic from C.S. Lewis's trilemma. It was evidences for the resurrection and evidences for the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts. When I heard those, those to me were like, "Oh, okay." I don't just believe this because my parents say so or because I have some feeling. I believe this because it's actually it's objectively true and it can be studied. So I would say those, excuse me, are, are some of the beginning ones. Um, but for me, I think one of the biggest evidences is um, is biology. Um, And I know for other people, it's going to be cosmology in the sense of the fine tuning of the universe is if you look here, I think I printed something out, all the things that have to be exactly right, in order for life to exist so we've got like the gravitational force constant the electromagnetic force constant. Strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, the cosmological constant. There's all these formulas, these mathematical formulas that have, it's like you'll have things that change, but then you'll have constants that for this mathematical problem to work, you have to have this constant present and people trying to discover this constant. That's why it's such a big breakthrough. It's like this number that's unique number that Uh, You could never just guess, but they have to discover it to in order to make the rest of the universe make sense. So then this talks about just different brute facts, the velocity of light. I know if you look at the properties of water, like why, when you put hydrogen and oxygen together, they come together to form this substance that has these exact properties. Uh, There's a guy from Discovery Institute that wrote an entire book just on water. And the properties that it has. Um, and so then it goes into different other, uh, po- you know, like the polarity of the water molecule. Um, yeah, the initial conditions of the Big Bang, all these things have to be dead on. They can't be even the remotest bit off, or else life ceases to exist. So that to me is like winning the lottery over and over and over and over again. Now moving on to the biological stuff. So this is like once you actually have life began and the universe began. When when I studied um biology, I noticed a real similar thing where it's like for me, proteins are a huge deal for uh I know it sounds funny. What what you know, what's the proof for what what makes you? so sure about the uh, existence of god i'm like proteins proteins really <laughs> you know because people think proteins they think oh like meat no so it's like everything in our body is made up of proteins i'm obviously not everything everything but like a good majority you know like our cell membranes and all the organelles all these different things and um our dna programs these different proteins well if you if any kind of string of amino acids could do And we'll do something then, you know, sure, maybe you could have life kind of cobbled together, but out of the, I mean, it's almost a near infinite possible combinations that you can have. I think uh, the last time I checked, which was back when I was doing my master's, it was like, we, we had something like maybe 200,000 functional proteins, which sounds like a lot until you think of the magnitudes of ten potential proteins, it really is like finding all these little needles in a haystack. And let me give you an example of, um, of a particular protein that if it goes wrong, it goes wrong real bad, uh, which is uh, cystic fibrosis. So cystic fibrosis, everybody knows about cystic fibrosis. Um, did you know it's just a single amino acid with the wrong polarity that causes cystic fibrosis? Like as it was putting this protein together, just one of them was off and the whole thing uh, is now not working. I was just diagnosed with hereditary hemochromatosis, which is a blood disorder. And it's the same thing. It's like there's one amino acid that's out of place that didn't get spell checked and causes all these problems. So when we look at these proteins, it's not like any combination of proteins gonna work. Basically protein folds like a key that fits into a lock somewhere in order to act upon it, because it's like you can't just have these free-floating proteins either. You have to have something for them to act upon. Um, so this idea of oh, randomly this protein forms and randomly it's the exact same kind that we needed, and, and look, the, this uh, the you know the lock and key mechanism that it needs in order to do something is right there, right next to it, just when it accidentally formed out of chance there's just too many chances. And to me, it's like when it comes down to it, I'm like, it's a statistical impossibility, if not an improbability. Uh, you really have to, uh, have to, I don't know, wear a blindfold and turn your brain off in order to think that all this stuff happened just on its own. And I think the more I understand it, the more I recognize, wow, this is so impossible for this to have happened. but it's one of those things where if you just kind of gloss over it and think, oh, like don't look too closely, oh, I could see this process maybe beginning to happen um you need to look at it a little bit more in depth and say, okay, what would be step one? what would be step two And I don't know if that's making sense or not, but um that to me is one of the things where I, I just I would not be comfortable disbelieving in God I, I feel like I can't I know what I know. but all of that tells me that, God exists it doesn't really tell me that the God of the Bible exists the God of the Bible exists I would say would be more in the in the lines of the reliability of the New Testament documents and the the resurrection the the evidence for Jesus's resurrection that I mean uh, I I went back through my old grad school paper on the evidences for the resurrection my main theme that I kept coming back to was you have to believe in a miracle? Either way, it's either the miracle that people were so incredibly stupid that they didn't know how to get to the right tomb, or or, uh, or they um, uh, you know or they stole the body and were miraculously able to keep the secret for their entire lives while they were being killed and persecuted. Like either way, you're left with a miracle. So it's a lot easier to believe in the miracle of the resurrection if you have to believe in a miracle for it not to be the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, So that gets me to the God of the Bible, which then gets me to this idea of suffering. Why am I willing to suffer for this? Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to suffer for their beliefs, just for their beliefs. It's always got to be, where is our ultimate destiny? And this really is one of those things that is a worldview question, this why am I here and where am I going um, and if I believe that what the Bible says is true, then this life is not the life that I'm really living for. This is kind of like the boot camp that I got to get through in order to th- have eternal life with Jesus, the one that I love, the one that I uh, have suffered for, the one who suffered for me, uh, living eternally with him. Um, so if if that's not true, then I think Paul says we're, we're to be pitied as fools. I think we, we just did a podcast recently called I Pity the Fool uh, for uh, the idea of if these are things you have to believe in, if these are not true, then yeah, we should all be pitied as fools. Um, and I, I think you and I were talking about how if we, if we, you know, one second after we die, we wake up and we realize we were wrong. I, I'd be angry too. What? I gave up this life here for no reason, like, Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah. I would be angry, but it's because I am so convinced not just by the evidence, but by, I guess then as William Lynn Craig talks about the inner Testament of the Holy spirit and the number of times when the Lord has just, I mean, there's a ton of times when he doesn't answer my prayers, but one of the things with this sickness that I've noticed, and this was like when I had cancer the first time. And when I've been going through this uh, things, the second time where There'll be days when I just can't even, and uh, I'll say, you know, I've got an interview scheduled, or I've got, uh, you know, back in the day I had, um, I was tutoring, and I I knew that I couldn't pull out of stuff, and so I just ask Lord, you got to get me out of this, you know. I had a photo shoot that I was supposed to do, and as soon as we get out there, as soon as I leave the place where I'm tutoring, all of a sudden start getting into lots of pain, and I'm like, Lord, please get me out of this photo shoot. I it would be beautifully sunny. I step out, and it just starts pouring rain. <laughs> Um, or, uh, there's been plenty of times when I've been in bed, just praying, Lord, I need to get up. I need to get up. If, if I can't do this, please let them cancel. Um, and Nancy will contact me and she's like, wow, both of your things canceled for today. So <laughs> it's like, whenever I have been going through suffering, it's almost like God gives me these little specific things where he's doing this. Hmm, I see I you. you. You're not suffering what you're doing because I forgot you. I see you and your suffering and I'm there. Um, I think sometimes we want God to do that all the time, even in times when it's not really necessary. And and he's, he's not here to be our trick pony to, to just, um, perform at a whim. Uh, he doesn't do that, but I think there's times when he really does just show up when we really, really need him to show up. Um, and the times that he doesn't, a lot of times there's something he's trying to teach me through that. And I can look back on that. And say ah i remember what i learned through that (laughs) Mm. but you have to be willing to see and to look um, at at what's going on there and you have to be able to trust that he's good i think back to the uh, the parable of the talents Mm. where it's talking about um uh you know he gave you know a certain amount you know 10 talents to this one five talents to this one and one talent to this one and said okay i'm gonna be gone for a while if you look at the responses The first two servants, the ones that increased, you know, took their talents and doubled them. The one that had 10, he doubled it to 20. The one who had five doubled it to 10. Both of them are expressing like this love and wanting to serve God. If you look at the third servant, it's not that he didn't think he could do it. It's that he didn't like his master. Mm-hmm. He said, I knew you were a shrewd man who, who plants were, or sows where you did not, pl- or was it, uh, reaps yep. where you did not. sow?" and so he has this different view of the master. And so sometimes I think if we just already have this view that God is evil, um, we're not going to see his goodness because we're not looking for it. Um, mm-hmm. so I can't even remember what the original question was. I'm just rambling at this no. point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the compelling evidence for God. And I think you did Fantastic. Um, you know, what would you say to a young person who is struggling with doubt? Maybe somebody who has been growing up in the church and feels like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wrestling with all that. Can you point to them to resources or things that have helped you?
1: <laughs> yes. And this is going to sound super cliche, but I find that one of the greatest correctors of bad theology is reading the Bible for yourself. Um, this is something I've been talking with my husband about lately, where, um, you know, I've kind of haven't gotten that into the Old Testament in the past, and I've always been like, well, I might not, you know, recommend that a new Christian go through the Old Testament. But the last couple of years, the Lord's kind of convicted me, like, it's time to go through the Old Testament, um, and mm-hmm. it started with my Old Testament class at Biola. And I am just getting so passionate about the Old Testament and reading it, rereading it, and rereading it. And it's one of those things where, why did I compare this to the other day? Oh yeah, I compared it to, I'm going through like this ton of old prayer journals from when I was like just out of high school. And I told my husband yesterday, I was like, these prayer journals are like reading the Old Testament. If you just take them little pockets at a time, it is a hot mess that you don't understand what's going on. But if you read the whole thing in context, you start seeing the trajectory that the Lord had me on. Cause I'll be honest, like. I was apparently, (laughs) this is so embarrassing to admit, I was so boy crazy and like half these guys that I'm listed. Oh, I think I love this person. Oh, but this one's so good. I'm like, who is that? I don't even remember who they are. (laughs) Um, But I also see like kind of intermittently in there, me going, I think that having guys like me is an idol and I should probably be turning that over to the Lord. And then of course I start talking about some other guy and then I start saying, no, Lord, I, I feel this drawing me away from you. And it's like, you start seeing these little pockets of where God was like faithfully taking me. He didn't rush me faster than apparently I was currently able to do, but the old Testament's the same way. It's like, you read these people pick little, you know, passages and just pluck them out of their, uh, context and like, Ooh, look how evil God is. But in, if you read the old Testament in its flow, you're like, wow, God is faithful again, and again, and again. And so I would say in that case, you know, the best, the best protection against bad, bad theology is reading the Bible more. And then, you know, say the people who think that, you know, uh, they've had toxic teaching on, I don't know, this is the new buzzword patriarchy, uh, and, and how, you know, men, Lord, it over women and all this stuff. Well, if you read through scripture and see what is actually being taught, it's not toxic at all you've been maybe taught toxic things about it, but the best antidote is reading what it actually says. Everybody tries to go to all these other resources to find out what everybody else thinks about it, but go and read it for yourself. Does it say what they're saying? Cause they may be lying to you saying that it says something that it doesn't say. And unless you've read it for yourself, you will never know. Mm. Um, so I would say that it, to me is, Just keep reading and looking for what it says and learning how to read the Bible and learning what hermeneutics is and try to see what it's, um, Oh, hermeneutics, uh, hermeneutics is just like the proper reading and interpretation of Bible. You know, what kind of, um, genre is this and what does it mean for something to be a prescriptive versus a descriptive, you know, descriptive meaning it's describing things that happen like during this whole, um, roe v wade you know uh the the dob the dobbs case or was it the, the supreme court case everybody's trying to bring up all these passes of scripture where hey look god condones abortion here dude read it for yourself this is describing <laughs> war crimes by some guy saying he's gonna go rip open pregnant women this is not god saying like this is a good thing i think y'all should go rip open pregnant women mm-hmm. it's like literally a prophet saying i'm crying because i'm seeing the evil that you're gonna do this is what you're gonna do and this is what you're gonna do um, or the, the, the passage where, you know, if the husband's jealous of his wife, uh, thinking that she's been unfaithful, we can't go into all that. If You actually read it and understand what's going on there. This is the way that God is actually protecting the woman from uh, jealous husbands being able to do just whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, so again, it's like people love to take these little proof texts, read them in context, uh, see if, see what they actually say. Read them in several different, um, like one of the things on hermeneutics, they say, read it in several different versions. Cause there's some of them where there's just one version that uses this word. Um, like again, with the whole stuff that's been happening this month, this one version uses the word miscarriage and all the other verses say uh, premature birth. And those are two different things in our world. It's like, so if, if all the other translations, uh, in the, the literal translation is causing her children to come out, um which is a premature birth. It's like, that's very different from miscarriage. Although somebody who translated it at this one time translated it as that. And I mean, there, there's, there's always going to be human insertions. So going back to the original languages, going back to the original text, that's what hermeneutics is being able to read for yourself to see what the Bible says um, and how to interpret it properly.
0: Mm, That's good. Um, So I know you've spent a lot of time researching what's out there in terms of worldview. Uh, in fact, I think one time on Facebook, I saw that you had a stamp that said something like... Um, which <laughs> Heretical think, garbage yep. <laughs> for research purposes only. And which yes... Is- Awesome. Um, I almost wanted to make my own such stamp. I'd love to know where you got that. Um, When I came into possession of a certain um, book uh, that a friend gave me and when I told her, I think that's heretical. I don't know. Um, But truthfully, how do you avoid getting sucked into the new ideas that are out there that may challenge your faith? Because I think someone listening may say, that's great. Um, You know, I, I read my Bible, but then I leave the confines of my private you know, my quiet time or whatever. And I go out into the world or I go on my social media, I watch a TikTok, and all of a sudden my faith is shaken. Or Mm. somebody tells me about this pastor over here who's deconstructing and now believes all like, it's very hard, Hillary, you know, uh, to avoid all the noise in our culture. Um, so have you, how do you avoid getting sucked into those things?
1: Um, I think one of the best things, honestly, that people can do is study systematic theology. Systematic theology is where you don't look at just what one passage says. You look at what the Bible says as a whole throughout everything. Because a lot of times it, you'll find in their nuance of like, well, kind of in this, you know, these two, like there's two passages actually right next to each other in Proverbs. One of them says, answer fool according to his folly, um, uh, or else he'll be wise in his own eyes. And then right next to it, it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. You're like, okay, Lord, which is it? Do answer or don't answer. That There are certain times where you have to understand what the nuance is and knowing what everything says and how these things all fit together. Um, systematic theology is kind of like taking all these little puzzle pieces and putting them together in a coherent whole. And once you have that coherent whole, you can start to tell when things don't fit in with it. This is one of the reasons why, like, people were able to reject, I think it was the third century, they found all these Gnostic Gospels. Oh, it's the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. Well, like, within the first paragraph, you're like, this is preaching a very different God than everything else in the New Testament. Probably not legit. Um, And so I think uh, being aware of what you kind of wish were true and then finding things that actually confirm it Be aware of your own biases like that. Um, uh, Be aware of just things that, uh, yeah, are really telling you what you want to hear. And always question, is this really what, what scripture teaches as a whole? My question that I always say for people is ask if this would be true for the persecuted church. If it's not true for the persecuted church, it's not true for us. And that's one of the ones that people get real tripped up on of, you know, like, oh, the Lord wants you to live your best life now and all these blessings. And it's like, is that true of the persecuted church? No, they're not living their best life now. They're being persecuted. So no, that can't be the point of being a Christian because it's not true for them. Mm. Uh, It should be true for everybody in order for it to be objectively true. Um, To keep from getting sucked into things, I think I always just keep comparing it back to scripture. But I also talk to other, I I find people who are resources, find people who have gone through uh, conservative seminary, seminaries that are really teaching scripture. I mean, this is another hard one of, uh, you can't even distrust that someone's gone through seminary and they have a, a oh man, biblical literacy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a good day for biblical literacy these yeah. days. Find people that you know to really treat, that teach truth of what the gospel says. And they're always encouraging you to go back to scripture and bounce it off them. I love asking other people, what are your opinions on this? And, you know, sometimes if I'm getting lots of different opinions, just keep asking people and keep asking why, have them explain um where they say plans fail for lack of counsel you know a lot of people around me wish I hadn't read that verse because I'm always asking everybody their opinion on stuff (laughs) um but I think there's something to be said uh said for that that we all have blind areas and actually also one of the things I became very convinced I don't know if I was convinced or if I was convicted I'll let you be the judge when I was going through my systematic theology class um at biola one of the things that i noticed is everybody embraced a heresy at some point mm-hmm. in that class of like wow this no this really does sound right so if you're never embracing something that's like just straight out heresy you're probably not growing now you need to like embrace <laughs> it just a long enough to kind of play around with it and be like yeah no that really doesn't fit but for those you know two days i was like well it could be true mm-hmm. um it's like that's kind of part of the process of learning is really taking something and see if this fits with the whole and, and treat it graciously. Try to integrate it. And if you really if you know scripture, you're gonna find all these areas where scripture is like, nope, 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 that doesn't fit here. But it's like to be so afraid of embracing something false. I think that that's uh that that can prevent true learning. Um, mm-hmm. you need to be able to you need to be able to land on the truth, but sometimes you know, you got it, you got to go through a bunch of heresy before you get there. Mm -hmm. And if something, uh, even the books that I have heretical garbage stamped on them, there's still things in there that I'm like, hmm, that's actually a good word. Ooh, they have a really good point here. But I can tell the difference between that and between what their overall message is. Because just remember, every time lies are going to be wrapped in partial truths. Once you start learning how to identify those partial truths, you can find, okay, this is maybe some of the problems that they're trying to address but then of course here's the cliff that they just went off trying to address it i mean with every problem that you try to solve you're going to open up a can of worms you just got to find the theology that opens up the fewest can of worms and the ones that you can kind of live with because they're still going to kind of be a mystery about things but um uh but again that this is part of learning and part of growing um and and whenever you place all of your if you're constantly bringing people back to book even if it's a mama bear book i still don't you know always agree with that if you're if you're constantly pointing people back to a specific book instead of scripture i would say maybe you've elevated that book mm-hmm. up higher than it needs to be and that's when you know you might be placing your trust again in that author that they did their homework that they said everything perfectly um instead of the author who is christ that um the Bible that you can trust that he actually does know everything and he said everything perfectly. It always has to come back um, to does this fit with the whole of scripture, not single verses of scripture, the whole of
0: scripture. Mm. I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, and I'll definitely link some episodes in the show notes. um, So we don't have a ton of time to get into this question, but um, you've talked a lot about biblical authority um, Mm. and for a lot of young people, that's just... I mean that's the big question. Can I really A trust the Bible? Word. <laughs> yeah. So, uh for somebody listening who is really struggling with that, like the, when they hear you say, uh, you know, I have to keep coming back to scripture, they're like, well, you know, I, I don't really believe the Bible because I watched all these, you know, TikToks or I read this book or whatever it is. Um, what have been the best resources for you in understanding biblical authority?
1: Mm. I think biblical authority is something that You have to keep testing it time and again. I think any kind of authority, I mean, at some point, you have to decide whether or not you're going to have this as biblical authority, whether or not you're going to allow scripture to be authoritative in your life. And that is a decision. And I think that uh, people who, one of the common things right now with deconstruction is that people say, I love Jesus, I just don't like the Bible. Well, that's not an option because John 1.1 1, 1 says in, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us to try to separate Jesus from his word. You cannot do it because it already says these are one and the same um, in terms of knowing whether or not something was reliably transmitted. That's like a different beast than saying, is this true? And you can do all the study that you want if you're waiting for the point where you have absolute certainty that you know for a fact without any possible doubt that this book is, is authoritative and from God, you are never going to get to that point. If that is your bar, of it has to meet this bar or else I throw out the whole thing. I'm just going to let you write, know right now, you're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. You have to go be, to the point of where it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, there's still going to be questions. There's still going to be things you don't understand. I mean, think about it. I I try to think men and women don't get each other. Like, think about how I would say more guys don't get women. I mean, we're just a (laughs) mystery to them. If, if these two creatures can't understand each other, why do we think we're going to perfectly understand God? Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, that's, again, that's false expectations, um, I, I think just if you are pursuing it and you keep asking and you ask with the true intent, just be like, God, if you're there and I don't know if you are there or not, I'm going to keep reading this. I need you to meet me. Where, I need you to meet me there. And um, I need you to show me if this is who you are. And it's okay to pray prayers like that. Probably the best prayer I ever prayed um, was a letter that I wrote to myself my freshman year in high school. And it was one of those things where, like, our, our small group leader would like pack up the letters that we wrote, and then sh- then we'd write another letter the next year. And then we got to see what we wrote the year before. And anyway, mm-hmm. by the end, we had four years worth of letters that we got to read. And mm-hmm. I saw the Lord really be faithful um, with this first letter. You know, I'd grown up Christian, I'd grow, you know, a good church girl, stuff like that. But I recognized that I really didn't have a desire for God. It was like He was always there, and I kind of took Him for granted, like any kind of teenage person takes their parents for granted, you know, not that it's like a lot of times teenagers will sit there and roll their eyes and oh I hate you, blah, blah, blah. But if that parent were in a car wreck, you'd see their attitude change in a minute mm-hmm. and they really do love their parents. They've just taken them for granted. So I just recognized that that's where I was. And so my prayer was, Lord, I, I don't really, if I'm honest, I don't want you, but I want to want you. Mm-hmm. And I saw God take that little honest prayer and just blossom it every year. And really since, since basically since then. Um, So I think just um, recognizing, you know what, you might be speaking to the air. Maybe God doesn't exist. No one's there. What have you lost? You've lost some time by yourself speaking to the air. Who cares? But if he is there and he does hear you, why not just keep asking him to show you himself, ask him to reveal areas where you don't want him to exist. That's another one. Sometimes we don't want God to exist for one reason or another. And then miraculously we say, oh, there's no evidence for God, you know, confirming exactly what we want. Maybe ask him, Lord, if I were honest, I don't want you to exist. I need you to get past that point. And I I can't overcome that in my heart. You need to overcome that in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Show me why I don't want you to exist. And then if you could, after that, Meet me where I am. Just keep pursuing that. Keep asking. Keep digging. Um, and the prayer, ask the prayer prayed in faith will yield. He listens to that. A broken and contrite spirit, oh Lord, you will not despise. Mm.
0: For somebody that was pretty content in their current worldview and likes the way that their life is, that would be a pretty hard prayer to to pray, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Why? Why bother this? Yeah. This holy being, if he does exist, is going to m- mess up my whole life. <laughs> um, you <Yeah, he> will. <laughs> and one of the things that Tati shared on here, you know, is that she doesn't believe that there's anything that could ever make her come to faith. But I think scripturally we have uh, evidence that that's not necessarily true. That God can get a hold of anybody, even when mm-hmm. they're not willing. I mean, and look oh, at yeah. the Apostle Paul. Um, so Tati, if you're listening to this, um, people are going to be praying for you. I mean, <laughs> whether you're here or not,
1: <laughs> too bad, so sad, you yeah. know,
0: <laughs> we'll see. Um, but one of the things that Tati shared and we'll wrap this up here, but I asked her what was most compelling about the Christian faith, what most disturbed her atheism. Mm. And she mentioned the community. Uh, really? Yeah, she thought that uh, she's one, she was wondering about that. And she talked about, um, you know, how when she lived here during her exchange year um, in Chelan, um, how we we went to uh, like a youth group setting and how that was something very special to her. Um, do you think, though, that Christian community is uniquely set apart from other communities? People make things like school or shared interests or, or work or even other religions. What, if anything, Hillary makes Christian community different? And why is it so important?
1: I would say I I would differentiate between real true Christian community and people who claim to be Christians who are trying to do community because those two groups can be very, very different. Um, I can say an experience that I had when I was in uh, one of these hospitals, uh, one of the girls that was on kind of the same floor that at one point there, you know, you're having to walk around through stuff. And we just started talking because she was Amish. And I just thought, that's interesting. So I just wanted to talk to her. And um, she was in there for, I think it was like complications for pregnancy and stuff. But um, when we both, we just both started talking about the Lord. And we knew that even if we never saw each other again, after this, we would see each other for eternity and i've been to places where there are not very many christians at all and if you meet someone else who claims to be a christian it's not because they're doing it because it's the cool thing to do they're doing it because this is what they actually believe and there's just like this soul um it's it's like it's like actual family you're meeting someone you're actually in the same family and you are going to see each other again And I think that no matter what color you are, or what uh, you're studying, or what your hobbies are, if you are truly a Christ follower, you are all going in the same direction and are all encouraging each other along in that same direction. It's this one community that transcends all other identities. It's this primary identity that transcends all the other secondary identities, um, to where if you identify as a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, then it's like you can have more in common with someone who you have nothing else in common with (laughs) and it's amazing and i just don't find other um other communities that are like that now that being said i have heard people have really horrible experiences within church communities so i want to say it's not always not always the best Um, and sometimes it's the church communities that push people away from the faith Um, But again, I mean, you know, every family has its messes, right? You know, every family's a little dysfunctional in its own special way. Um, But really, it's the aspect of you're dealing with stuff on a soul level, not on an interest level, not an intellectual level. I mean, mean, mind, all these things. It's like it has aspects of that, but you're dealing with things that transcend all of that. And um, there's nothing else that can do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Final question. Uh, Well, actually, I lied. Um, If people want to know more about your ministry, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so we're at MamaBearApologetics.com. That's M-A-M-A-BearApologetics.com. We're on there. Uh, We're on Instagram. Twitter, I mainly stay off Twitter just because I think it's like the wasteland. Um, <laughs> but Amy and Lindsay are on there and they'll interact uh, and then on Facebook. So we're you know, we're on the social medias for as long as we can. Oh, and we've got a YouTube channel. We publish our, we now publish our, our podcast as videos as well. Uh, so lots of ways to connect. There's not never going to be a guarantee that we're going to be able to be on the social media forever uh, just with the way things are going. So I'd say just sign up for the newsletter you won't get a lot of spam because honestly we forget to send stuff out a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) we should be better about saying, Hey, we've got a new podcast. Hey, we got a new blog. But, um, so a lot of times we'll be like, Oh, we haven't sent one of those out in a while. And then we'll just say, this is all the stuff you've missed. So, um, if you want to not be inundated with, with email, just go ahead and sign up for that email list. And, um, and we'll keep you updated for the big stuff. Um, we also have an events page on our, um, on our website. So if you want to look and see if one of us will be speaking anywhere near you, uh, you've got that. And, um, yeah, we just love, uh, love meeting people, people and talking to them when we do, uh, when we do
0: events. So that's awesome. All right. Final question. The finding something real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Real is an acronym for all those things restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, there's more gifts that we can find in Christ, but of those four, which stands out to you the most in your life right now and why?
1: Golly, all of them are pretty big right now. Just, I mean, I'm in the process of being restored physically, slowly, 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 but hopefully, surely. Authenticity, I just, No one's ever accused me of holding back. We'll just say that. (laughs) Um, Eternity and love. Those are like the two words that, you know, like some, some people have this kind of mystical view of, you know, having a word of the year. I don't have that, but I do like doing the word of the year. And, um, those are the two words that I've had for this year and kind of projecting for next year, this idea of, I want to make every interaction I have with people, um, focused on how to love them and honestly i might need to go another year with this word because i think i'm still not learning it well enough um to you know because when, when you're thinking about you know the fact you're insecure or maybe the fact you're not feeling good there's all these things that just automatically turn you back into self-focused and i'm trying to get past that to where i'm just fully focusing on loving the person that i'm there but also making decisions making every decision in light of eternity um is just something that I think is, oh gosh, so I don't even know which one mine. I mean, I feel like all of them, honestly, right now. I don't I don't even know if I could pick, which usually I'm pretty good with picking, but I don't know if I can pick this one.
0: I think that's all right. Hillary, <laughs> thank you so much for being on here today. I know, uh, yeah, I, I just really appreciate your heart for the Lord and your heart for this ministry he's called you to. And I just, I'm really grateful for you. So oh, thank you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.